are in the Christmas season, and we're, we've been talking about um, the series on coming home. And really, this is a series geared directly to us as Christians to have a heart for the lost, to be like that father in the prodigal son's story where the son ran off, wasted all his money, messed up his life, and with humility and sadness kind of came back hoping that he could kind of at least find some kind of a place back in his household. And the dad saw him from far away, right? And he ran to him and he blessed him and he embraced him and he brought him back into the family and forgave him of everything that he did. As we are called by Jesus Christ in the Great Commission to go out into the world and bring all of those people that don't know Jesus back home into the family of God. The family of God, the house of God, the home that we have, living in the presence of the Lord and his love and his rule in our life is so good. And yet we need to make sure that we see people through the eyes of Jesus that say there's only two types of people in this world, those that know Jesus and those that don't know Jesus, those that know Jesus and that don't know him yet. Amen? And we know him and we want to bring everybody home. So we talked about a love for the lost the first week. And we talked about how we're supposed to have eyes to see those that are lost so that we could want to do something about it and bring them home. And then if you guys remember last week, Pastor Tom talked a great sermon on our approach. You guys remember that? The approach, that was a good message. And it was so good because it was freeing because it was one that reminded us that if we're going to go share our faith with other people, that we don't have to be a, a certain stereotype, a super dynamic speaker or, or evangelist or whatever. Some of us are gifted that way, but a lot of us, God is just saying, no, you're, you're quiet, you're shy, you've got this personality, you've got this sense of humor. Just be who you are and reach those people that are like you. And you know, that's freeing because it says, I don't have to be anything that I'm not. I'm a different person here when I preach because I'm walking in the calling and the anointing that God has for me. But on my own, I'm kind of one of those quieter kind of people. And God goes, you don't have to be anything that I didn't create you to be. Be who you are, but make sure you're letting people know about me. Just be who you are. And that's so encouraging. So this whole thing is we want to get people to the place where they're coming home. And today we're going to talk about creating atmosphere. That not only do we have a heart for people out there, that we approach them right, but when we bring them home, that it's a place where they want to stay, where they want to plug in, where they find answers to their problems. They have found the Lord because of us. Is that good? So I want to show you guys a video real quick that just kind of makes the point on why it's so important for us to share our faith. And it's actually easier than we think. Take a look at the screens right now. This is Nate. Nate became a Christ follower two weeks ago and is still a bit giddy about it. Now he's trying not to do cartwheels in public. Nate became a believer partly because of Kim. Yet oddly enough, Kim and Nate have never met. How is this possible? Well, let's take a look. Kim loved Jesus from an early age, and in college she had a huge impact on her friends. While most of her peers used their college years to, well, experiment, Kim didn't. She remained committed to her faith, and it showed. It especially showed to Lisa, her roommate, who confessed to Kim that she wanted whatever it was that made Kim so strong. Kim shared her faith with Lisa, and Lisa believed. Years later, at Lisa's first real job, she met Thomas. Thomas was hit by a drunk driver when he was 13 and still carried a lot of anger and bitterness. Thomas and Lisa became friends, and it wasn't long before he started going to church with Lisa and her husband. After a lot of studying and searching, Thomas gave his life to Christ. Fast forward a few years. Thomas became a public speaker and was often asked to speak at large events. 
See, when he became a believer, Thomas developed a new perspective on life. He stopped resenting what had been taken from him and started being thankful for the second chance he had been given. On one particular day, Thomas shared about overcoming hardship and what it means to choose joy. He was so passionate that a number of people were inspired to share a link to his video. The video of Thomas inspired James, too. And if anyone needed inspiration, it was him. James had a ton of issues. He spent most of his life as a passive husband, an absent father, and a horrible friend. That said, no one disliked him more than he disliked himself. But everything changed the night he happened to watch Thomas online. Something clicked and he knew what he had to do. He surrendered his miserable life to someone greater, and he was forever changed. James fought hard to make up for the lost years with his family. And he also began working with young men who were in danger of throwing their lives away. One of those men was Nate. Nate didn't really know his own dad, and he had no real direction in life, ultimately bouncing from one bad decision to another. Because of that, he often found himself in trouble with the law. No one had ever showed him what it looked like to be a real man. That is, until he met James. James became the first father figure Nate ever had. He learned about honesty, self-control, humility, and integrity, and where those traits come from. Two months later, Nate publicly declared his belief in Christ. And of course, James was there. Now you can see the connection. Nate was impacted by James, who was influenced by Thomas. Thomas on Uncommon Joy and Lisa, who learned of Jesus from Kim. Kim's relationship with God eventually led to Nate's. Funny how these two people have never met and never will. Isn't that good? It, uh, it reminds us that it's not as difficult as we make it out to be to share our faith, to change this world. I mean, imagine when you get to heaven and you kind of feel like, you know, a lot of us are going to feel like, God, I didn't do too much for you. I tried to live my life, and I'm sorry I didn't share more. I'm sorry I didn't change more lives. And God's going to go, no, look, here's how it all worked out. And he's going to show us a video that looks like that of our lives. Look, you shared with that guy, and he planted something in them, and they talked to this person, talked to this person, and this, this person. And you had a part in changing the world and bringing people home into the family of God just by being you and sharing what you have and doing what you could do. Isn't that good? Isn't that inspiring? But it does say that we got to do something. We can't just be quiet. We actually have to get out there and be involved. And part of, part of having the heart for the lost, having the right approach, the third thing I see is, is we got to create that atmosphere. Because sadly, every year, so many people are walked into that approach and they're interested in Jesus and they come close. And then because churches or people or friends aren't fully walking them in and creating that right environment where they can settle down and really start digging deep into Jesus. So many people kind of get all excited, kind of come up there, and then they, they fall out of church because the atmosphere wasn't right to meet their needs. Or they may even fall not just out of church, but out of faith in God because we didn't completely seal the deal. Today I want to talk about us sealing the deal, making sure that people stick, that they stay in our churches, they stay in the house of God. We've got to create the right atmosphere. And atmosphere, what I'm talking about that is the, the aura that we put off, the vibe, the feeling, you know, the, the fact that a few Christmas lights can change the whole vibe in this room. Aren't you guys happy and thankful for the decorations around here? Doesn't it change everything? I mean, if you think about it, 
not only that, but we've put up these, these black walls and everything. But if you look on the outside, we're literally meeting in a tent right now. Remember that, right? And you just change a few things and you can control the whole atmosphere. We have air conditioning and carpet and lights and all this. And, and people go, wait, your church is in a tent? Yeah, but it's pretty cool, right? Because we've, we've done stuff to change the atmosphere. Out in the courtyard, you can see we got some new furniture. Anybody try out the new furniture yet? Yeah, we're trying to upgrade it around here. Look, we don't have a lot of money, and we're doing what we can. We had a lot of those other green chairs and tables for years, and it was like we want to create a place where people would hang out. But it wasn't the nicest stuff. So those chairs used to be all gray. We actually spray-painted them all green so they would match the tables. And you guys know they're spray-painted because the paint comes off on your hands and on your seat. When you sit, right, we're like, we're trying to do the budget route and be good with our money, but we had saved up and we budgeted and we finally were able to get some nicer furniture. And why? We think that's important because we're trying to present an atmosphere where church feels like home and it's comfortable and it's not what you normally expect from a religious institution, a sterile environment, but it's actually a place where people can hang out and get to know each other and feel free to worship in God's presence. You guys understand the atmosphere that we're after? But we, as Christians, in our own personal lives, can send out vibes of our own. And if we're trying to invite people to church and get them to know Jesus, we got to make sure that it's not just lip service and, oh, I got the right approach and all that. But you want them to be drawn in and then to feel comfortable around you that you've actually got answers to their questions and what they're looking for, you can present. Do you send off that vibe? I hope I do. I don't know if I do. So that's why we're preaching on it today. I hope our church does a good job. We're not there perfect yet, but we're trying to create the right atmosphere where people feel warmly accepted and would want to dig deep and get close to Jesus, because that's really what it's all about, isn't it? Getting close to Jesus. A couple years ago, well, not more than a couple years ago, I was in college back in the early 90s. And uh, my wife and I, before we were married, we were dating, we were in college together in California. Uh, the holidays rolled around. It was Thanksgiving time. And we weren't flying back to Hawaii. We couldn't, didn't have the money to do that. And we didn't have a lot of friends and family close up there where we were at. And we're thinking, what are we going to do for Thanksgiving? The cafeteria doesn't make good Thanksgiving food, you know. And we want friends and family and home-cooked turkey and all that. And one of our friends in the college said, hey, you know what? Why don't you guys come out to my house? I live a couple mile, or a couple hours away from here out in Palm Springs. Anybody ever went out Palm Springs, like the desert? It's beautiful, right? But it's hot, right? But it's, it's nice. There's golf courses and old people and swimming pools, and it's pretty cool. So we're like, yeah, sure, we'll go out there. That's awesome. We don't have a place to go. We want, we're looking for family. We're looking for acceptance, the warmth of the holidays, and we don't have that. And so we drove out there with my friend, and he's talking it up, and he's hyping his family and his food, and we're like, yeah, this is going to be good. And we get there, and uh, we get to the house, and he introduces us to a couple family members. We're like, yeah, just so happy to be there, right? It's, it's Thanksgiving. And we're like, oh, okay, good to meet you guys. And then our friend, for whatever reason, and I don't know, because he really is a good friend. He was cool. But he deserts us. He goes off into, I don't even know where he went, another room or the, the backyard. He hooked up with family. And then it was like, Carl and Kanani are on their own, right? And we're in the strange house, and you know, with all these people. And we're, we're trying to be nice and helpful. And we're just trying to feel a part of it all, you know, trying to be included in everything. And, and uh, we meet people, but they're all busy, and they're all walking around, and they're all doing stuff, and they're all connecting with each other, you know, and we don't know anybody. And we get the nice, hi, how you doing? Welcome. Happy Thanksgiving. Out. And we're just left there. And we try to volunteer. Can we help with the food? It looks like people are getting stuff right. Can, do you mind if we could help? We're here to help. No, 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 it's cool. Just sit there. Just sit there. And so we ended up sadly, for several hours just sitting there on this couch while tons of family members are all moving around, and we're just kind of 
trying to look friendly, you know, but people just weren't talking to us. We end up talking to each other. We run out of stuff to say to each other. We're just like, what is going on? And we're thinking, man, how much more hours until Christmas dinner? Turns out they don't, or not Christmas, Thanksgiving dinner. Turns out they don't do Thanksgiving dinner. They do Thanksgiving lunch or brunch. It was like 1130. And they go, all right, we're going to eat. I was like, I just ate breakfast. Are you kidding me? So we go out in the backyard. And that's awkward enough. I'm not ready for Thanksgiving. You know, it's just my culture is later in the day. But we have it in the backyard. There's no shade. It's about 90-something degrees in the yard in Palm Springs. And we're eating hot gravy, hot turkey. I'm just like, this is weird. And, you know, and people are still not talking to me. And I'm just eating my food and sweating, you know. And I'm like, where am I, you know? And then after, I kept waiting for the next opportunity. Well, maybe now we're going to be kind of invited in. We'll feel good. And like, no, 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 we got the dishes. We got everything. Oh, man, what do we do now? Just stand in the yard. There's little kids playing, and I'm trying to play with little kids. And dads are looking at me like, who are you? And I'm like, what is going on? Am I in the twilight zone? And literally, it felt like all I could do that Kanani and I were trying to connect, but we just couldn't get in. We just didn't feel fully welcomed in. And this isn't negative against my friend or anything. He's a great friend, but for some reason, it just was the most awkward thing. And we had to stay for like another six hours and, and we didn't leave till like 11 at night. And it was just like, Kanani and I were both just going, if we had our own car, if we drove out here, we would have been gone by now. We just didn't fit. It wasn't welcoming. I mean, at least we ate, but we we're sweating and let's get out of here. And I think, sadly, that that sometimes happens in our churches, that that sometimes happens in our lives as Christians, it's not enough to, I love the loss, and you approach them right, and you get them all but in, and then we kind of go, well, I got them to church. Now it's someone else's problem. I'm going to go run into my clique with my mini church, and they can maybe start their own because I got my circle of friends over here, and I'm happy with that. And there's, there's people that come in your life, and they're looking for answers and direction, and we're like, yeah, well, uh, yeah, go to church. I want to make sure that in my life and in our church and in your personal lives that people would never feel that when they come around you. They would never feel like abandoned and feel like you just dropped them off, but that they would always have their needs met and that we'd plug them into Jesus. Is that good? We're going to talk about that today, creating the right atmosphere. I want to, I want to talk first about this, how to create the right atmosphere. There's three things that I, kind of important things that, that I saw in this is, um, and I, I wrote in the notes, know the house rules. And I actually don't like the word rules because it sounds so strict in regulations, but it's more like guidelines. And, the atmosphere that I'm trying to create, that I'm talking about here, I think that God wants us to have, is an atmosphere where people can come into your presence and they can say, I can find truth here. I can find direction here. I can find help and answers and instruction for my life whenever I come into conversation with Carl or to Hope Chapel Kanyoi Bay or into your life or into your workspace at work and they go, hey, I'm, I'm struggling with this, that we would put off a vibe that says, you can come to me for answers, that it's not like a bait and switch where we bait people in. Jesus is good. He'll, he'll meet all your needs. He'll give you answers. And then they actually talk to you and you're like, oh, you know, I don't know. I don't really have time for you, right? But that we would put off a vibe and an atmosphere of people finding truth because we all need truth. People are looking for direction. The reason that we come to church and we come to God is because we're looking for something that the world can't give us. You know, I, I drive on the roads and, and I see how we all drive on the holidays, right? And I say we figuratively because really I'm, not, I'm holier than this. But the way that everybody drives in the holidays and, you know, the holiday cheer is like not on the roads in the holiday season, is it? You guys, I, I, I promise like about four times in the past two weeks, I've almost seen people die on the roads because people are drifting into other lanes. I saw a kid on his way to school take his bike out into the crosswalk. He wasn't even looking. 
because he had the right of way and this car in this lane was stopped. The car on this side didn't see him, went flying by like 40, 50 miles an hour, literally almost clipped this kid's bike. If the kid was like three more feet forward, I would be looking at a dead kid right now. It was like, I was just watching this thing un unravel and I just went, oh my gosh, God, thank you. Thank you that your angels are on overtime during the holidays and they're protecting people because we drive bad, don't we? Come on, you guys don't admit it, but like I said, someone got a ticket on the way to church and they were in church this morning, so that's, that's us. And we wave with one finger and it's not a candy cane, you know? There's nothing jolly about that. We gotta watch ourselves. But imagine, imagine if there were no traffic rules at all and we were like that, and we were left to our own devices to try to get around and navigate, especially during the holiday season. My gift shopping is more important than yours, so I'm going right now, and you're going to stay. I mean, imagine how chaotic that would be, which gives us the kind of a correlation in the fact that even in life, we need some standards, we need some guidelines. And we, as Christians, have been given the book of the ultimate answers, haven't we? We've been given the source of all truth, which is what? The Bible. It's God's Word, right? That I want to make sure that in our lives, the atmosphere that we put out is that we are always pointing people to God. If anybody comes into a relationship with me and they're talking with me and they're asking, they got answers and questions, I don't have to be a counselor. You know that? You don't have to be a counselor. You don't have to come up with your own opinions. No, you do. Uh, let's see what the Word of God says because that's the standard that we live by. People need to know that when they come to Hope Chapel, they didn't just come to, that's a really positive place. Because people are looking for more than positivity. People are looking for answers and truth and direction in their lives. And I want to make sure that people would talk about us and say, when I come there, I find answers. I find truth. Those people, they may say all their opinions, but they're all pointing right back to that book, right back to God and his word, right back to a solid set of standards for our lives. Look at what it says in 2 Timothy verse 3, 15 and 17 in the message. It talks about the Bible. It says, there's nothing like the written word of God for showing you the way to salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> Every part of scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful one way or another, showing us truth, exposing our rebellion, correcting our mistakes, training us to live God's way. Through the word, we are put together and shaped up for the tasks that God has for us. Remember that even as Jesus walked this earth 2,000 years ago, he said, I don't do or say anything except for what the Father says and does except for what God, and even the Son of God, Jesus, as he walked around teaching, he said, I'm only taking directions from God the Father. And as us, as Christians, is that we got to make sure that we have answers for people because we have the Word of God. That our job isn't to, to give opinions, but it's to give truth. That means we need to be people that actually read the Word of God. You don't go to church to read the Word of God, right? You read it on your own. You're getting filled of it so that it can come out of you. You can speak truth to other people that you are listening to sermons where people preach the word of God, that you're singing songs in worship that talk all about the, the concepts and the laws and some direct quotes from the word of God, that you're reading extra books where, where Christian authors write, but it's based on the word of God, that you're immersing yourself in it so that you can actually walk in truth and have guidelines. So people that are lost and are looking for something, they can come to you and they can know, you know, there's an atmosphere about, of truth about that guy. Whenever I hang out with him, he always gives me the answers I need. And it's nothing about our opinion. It's all about the source of truth, which is God and his word. Amen? Here's an example. Um, a few years back, I got my first uh, desktop computer. And it was a PC. And back in those days, I wasn't really saved and didn't find Apple computer yet. But I, I was a PC computer. 
and, and, I, and I bought this thing. We saved up. We were, you know, newly married, and we didn't have a lot of money. We saved up for this thing. We're like, ah, we got this. I think it was like a compact computer or whatever. Do they still make those? Anybody? I don't know. Anyways, that was the name, and I thought it was really cool. We got this computer, and, and so it was, uh, we had some friends over one day, and the, 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 one of the friends I had was kind of like a computer, I don't know, computer geek, computer expert, whatever, IT guy, right? Then he goes, hey, you know what? This is a really nice computer, and you know what? There's some stuff I can do to make your computer run faster and start faster. Let me just delete some stuff over here and adjust some files and do this kind of stuff, and I'm just kind of like, uh, well, I don't know. It's kind of cool by itself. I don't know if you really need to. No, 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 trust me. So I trusted him, and he starts deleting some files and moving some stuff around and doing all this stuff. And when he got through with it, he thought it was all good, and I started up the next time my computer was broken. It kind of worked, but it ran slower. Things were missing. I was getting error symbols all the time, and I was bummed. Why? Because I trusted this guy's opinion over the source, which is, this is what the manual says. Do not delete these files. Keep this all together. And here's what happens sometimes is that we think we're helping people by giving opinions, but we may be making matters worse. People are looking for direction, for truth, for answers, for purpose in life. And we got to be careful not to give too much of us, but point people to God. Amen? So let's make sure we have an attitude and an atmosphere that is all about God and his word, that we go back to him as a standard every time. Okay, here's the a, here's a next thing about creating atmosphere I think is really important. Look at your notes. It says love like family. I think that's absolutely important to the atmosphere that we, we create. That when people come into your house or conversation with you or to our church, they would actually feel something that would make them feel like, these people actually accept me. I, I actually feel love here. I feel real love here. That no matter where I've been, what I've done, these people don't seem to care too much about that. They're just here to look out for my best interest and to push me closer to Jesus. Amen? That we want our church to be that kind of place that you can come here and you feel like, oh, these, these people actually do have my back. And I've confessed some pretty bad stuff about myself but people are still loving on me and they're not judging me and they're not condemning me. And they're not being legalistic, shaking their finger. But I get the feeling that they've probably been through some stuff too. And there's a lot of grace in this place. And I want to make sure that we create that atmosphere here at our church. But I think it goes beyond the church because it's not all the church's problem. I think that people are more important than the program. And too many times we want to let the program and the church give all the answers. But the reality is the church is made of people, of us. And the more we individually just love on people and accept them and work together with them, the more they're going to be drawn into all that God stands for, which is love in itself. So look at Acts chapter 2, verse 42. One of my favorite passages, the early church as they were forming after Jesus had ascended back to heaven, the early believers in Jerusalem were trying to figure out, hey, how do we do this thing called church? And how do we relate to one another the way that Jesus taught us all about? And it says that they formed this awesome community. And I think this is what church needs to look like. But us as Christians, we need to give this vibe. It says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, which is communion, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. Then all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. In other words, they went to church, but they also met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. 
This is Christian community at its finest. This is Christian family at its finest. They're presenting some type of an atmosphere that was so attractive that God was adding to their number daily, those who were being saved. That people were coming, they're going, I want to be a part of what this looks like. Now, I, got, I want you guys to think about this. This isn't some crazy weird commune. These people still had to work their jobs. They still had their lives. They had to manage their kids. But they, were, they created such a community sense of, you know what, as soon as work is done, though, I'm getting over to the church because my friends are there. My family's there. And they met one another's needs. And they didn't just try to grow in the things of God on their own. But they're like, hey, you know what, let's, let's go and read the scriptures together. Let's figure this stuff out together. That's why we put such an emphasis in our church on mini church. Because it's good to hear the word preached, but it's even better when you go and you get into other people's lives and you talk about how do we live that out? What was the pastor saying? What is the word of God doing in our lives? And that we're creating this atmosphere of love and acceptance of family, right? And that's what they're, they're getting at here is one thing that I see in this passage is how many times it uses the word all. It says all believers, sense of awe came over all of them. All the believers met together. They enjoyed the goodwill of all the people. But I believe that, that it's making a point of there is saying that there's room for everyone in God's family. There's room for absolutely everyone. That people would come to this place or come into our lives and feel absolutely forgiven, accepted, and loved no matter where they've been, no matter what they do. That means when Jesus, it said in scripture we read the other week that he attracted the notorious sinners. You guys know what the notorious sinners are? Those are the kind of people that you see them in Kanyoi or something at Long's and they cut in front of you in the line because they got to buy that Christmas gift. And you're like, you're a notorious sinner. You did that right in front of the kind of guys that are cutting you off in traffic, you know, the kind of people that are yelling at the teachers at the school and the kind of the, the stuff that basically the notorious sinners are. You know what they are? They're just the people that sin a little bit more obviously because all of us are sinners, aren't we? And we're so easy to point the ones that sin, obviously, but really all of us got stuff. We're just good at hiding it. But the reality is that there was room for the notorious sinners. Jesus attracted them, and we should as well. And we should be careful not to be judgmental because someone is too holy or someone is not holy enough or someone, I saw where that guy went or I went to high school with them. They shouldn't be in church. They don't deserve to be here or whatever we do to, to judge people. This passage says, Everybody was welcomed. All the believers were together. Everybody, the big, the, the small, the nosy people, the quiet people, the irritating people that God puts in your life, you know, he put them there for a reason to check on your faith and to see where your patience levels are at. So there's room for them in the family as well. But it was saying that all of them worked together and that they didn't abandon one another, but they made allowances for one another. I believe that it's allowing for people's mistakes, that people are in process, yeah? A lot of times there's... A lot of years have gone by to create the mess in people's lives that they have. And they come to church and we expect them to be cleaned up and done and, and saved and, and forgiven overnight. And it's taken a long time to build them up to where they got to. And it might take a long time for them to get rid of all of that stuff and surrender it all to God. But we need to people, be a people that say, that's okay. It's a long process. We got time. It's a long process. We got patience. We're going to walk you through that, through that patience together. We got you on this. We need to be that kind of people that create that atmosphere where people can come and, and live their mistakes. Let's lead with love and grace. Um, there's a chapter in the book of Mark, chapter 2, the book of Mark, that talks about loving like family. It talks about being real with one another. It talks about the lengths that you go to for someone. And the story is that Jesus is walking around. Uh, he's in Capernaum. He's at this house. He's preaching and he's teaching. And there's Pharisees, you know, religious leaders there. And there's all kind of people there. But the house is so packed full of people that nobody else can get in. 
the house is full. People are leaning in the windows. People are coming in the doors. And these four guys roll up, and they're carrying their buddy that's paralyzed. He's crippled, and he's on a mat. You guys remember this story? Four men walk in. I don't know if they're his brothers or his family or just really good friends, but there's four people that care enough to bring their friend who's crippled and paralyzed, and they're going, we got to get him to this guy, Jesus. The house is packed. How are we going to get in? We can't get in the door, the window. What are we going to do? And somehow, I wish I knew the details of this. I can't wait to go to heaven and say, how the heck did four guys get their buddy on a mat on the roof of a house? But they got him up on the roof of the house somehow, and it says that they needed to get him to Jesus so bad, they started ripping the tiles off the roof. They started digging into the clay and the, the plaster and the wood and everything that's in there just so that they could get their friend down in there. And you got to imagine that Jesus is in the house with everybody else and bits of the ceiling are falling in on people's heads. And they're like, what the? Uh, we didn't know you were going to put a skylight in right now. What's going on, right? And so these guys tear open a hole. They lower their friend down to Jesus. And, and it says this, Jesus saw their faith and he forgave that man his sins. Now, at first you go, well, why didn't he heal him? Well, first thing Jesus cares about is the spiritual healing, right? And so he's like, you know what? I see your faith in me. I forgive you your sins. The Pharisees get all mad. And they're like, who are you to forgive sins? Who do you think? You're saying you're God? Who do you think you are to forgive someone's sins? And Jesus goes, I'll tell you who I am. He goes, you think it's easier for me to forgive someone's sins or to, to heal someone? He goes, okay, in that case, grab your mat, stand up, and walk. You're healed. And the guy's fully, completely healed. His sins are forgiven, and he's healed. And the Pharisees are just grumbling over there. Now i got to fix my roof. You know? And Jesus says it's miraculous healing. But here's what I want you to catch in this story I think is so amazing, is the persistence of those four friends. Here's what loving like family means. You would do whatever it takes to get people closer to Jesus. You'd be willing to dig into someone's roof to lower your friend in because you know that Jesus has the answers. And we as a group of people and as Christians have to have such a heart for people that says, I'm not going to let you slip through the cracks of this church. I'm not going to get you halfway to the door. You know what? Your marriage is on the rocks. My wife and I are going to go with you to that love life series or whatever. We're going to take it. We don't even need it, but we want to be there for you because we know you need to get close to Jesus. And you invite someone to church. You don't just go, okay, I hope they'll meet you there. No, you sit with them. You walk them to that connect center. You invite them into your mini church. You invite them into your circle of friends. You show them where to start reading in that brand new Bible that's foreign to them. They don't know where, where to read. You tell them, read the book of John because it's all about Jesus. You do whatever it takes to get people closer to Jesus. Amen? Am I making my point? But we got to get out of our comfort zone. And wasn't it Gandhi that said, he looked up on Christianity, he studied Christianity, and he goes, I like your Christ, I just don't like your Christians. Remember? That we need to be Christ-like to the point that people feel loved and accepted and welcomed in, and we're going to do everything we can to move them into a closer walk with Jesus Christ. Is that good? A little bit convicting, yeah, but it's good. We need that because when I go somewhere foreign or I go to a new place, I want to feel that people are welcoming me in and they got my best interests at, at hand. So here's a, the last thing. And this one is kind of a, an obvious one, but I think it's one we don't always do. It's just be spiritual. We need to create an atmosphere that people come into that are new to the family of God where they actually receive life-changing power. Why? Because we're preaching about a God that is supernatural. Yeah? We're not teaching about religion, that if you do these, these things and we read this book, these nice sayings that life will improve, it's more than that. We're preaching a message that says, our God is all-powerful, 
that he's got power to change your life and your circumstance. And if you come into his presence and you come into contact with his people, stuff is going to happen. You're going to receive a spiritual touch. There's healing. There's miracles. There's being set free. There's relationships being restored. But people are looking for God, aren't they? And people expect that if you're going to talk about God, that something spiritual is going to happen. People are expecting you to be spiritual. And I think a lot of the problem with the church is we, we know that God is Trinity, but we put so much emphasis on God the Father and God the Son, and then there's that other guy. The other guy that's a little bit weird, and he's, we know there's power there, but we don't quite know what to do. The Holy Spirit. Yes, remember that the Holy Spirit is the member of the Trinity that we know the absolute best of all three. God's in heaven. He wanted a relationship with us because we're separated from him. He sends Jesus to this earth. Jesus does his thing to put us in relationship with God. And then Jesus leaves. And Jesus is back in heaven right now. Did you know that? And he said, it's better that I go away. Otherwise, the comforter won't come. The helper, the Holy Spirit, the one that's going to move in power in your life, in the gifts, in the fruits, and allow you to, to feel and to see a spiritual touch that the God that we serve in heaven is very real in our lives here and now. So the reality is the Holy Spirit's in all of us. But so many of us forget to tap into that power, to surrender completely to what God wants to do. And we, f- we put a lot of focus on the dynamic duo, the Father and the Son, and we forget about the other guy. And Jesus is, is constantly calling us to tap into that power. And I want a- us as a church to start pressing back into the fact that there's power available in our lives. And not only that, but the people that are coming to church looking for answers, they're looking for real power, you know. They're not looking for religion. I come to church looking for a touch from God, not religion. I don't like religion. Religion is just rules and regulations and man trying to seek something that they can never quite grasp and get a hold of. You know what Christianity is, the relationship with God? It's God reaching out to us and reaching out in power and touching our lives. And people come to service sometimes and they tell me, Carl, I just got saved. And for months now, when I sit in worship and sing those songs and see those words, I cannot stop bawling like a baby. And it's embarrassing, and I'm trying to hide it, and I'm over there. But you know what that is? That's a spiritual touch from a mighty living God that actually has life-changing power for our lives. Some people sit in the services, and they, whatever I'm saying, it's not me saying it. God is speaking. They get convicted. They get empowered. They get excited to start ministries, or they get mad at me. They come to me at the back door, and they're like, you know what, um, I wish you'd stop talking to my wife about my personal life because you're talking all about me this morning. That's not cool. I'm like, look, man, I don't even know you. I promise. I just wrote what God gave me, and it's the word of God, and I'm sorry. No, no, I know. I know she's been talking. I'm like, I promise you, I do not know your family at all. But you know what that is? That's God supernaturally, spiritually touching someone, convicting them to the point where they think the pastor actually is like reading their emails or something like that. I don't know anything about that. What is that? Well, that's, that's, that's God moving. When people come to, to church or they come around your presence and you pray for people and they get healed and miracles happen, that's God. People are looking for that. I'm looking for that. I'm looking for a real God and a real faith and a, a God of power, not a God of just let's talk about his stories. But he is real. He's here today and he's living in us. Look at this um, story in John chapter 25. It's a story where Jesus heals a blind man. I'm going to paraphrase the story to you. Jesus and his disciples are walking by, and he's going around teaching them. They're asking him questions, and they go, hey, look at this blind man right here. Uh, Jesus, was it his sin or his parents' sin that caused him to be blind? And Jesus goes, oh, you guys got it all wrong. He goes, the reality is this guy is born blind so that 
my power can be on display and we can give glory to God. And he goes, watch this. And Jesus, all in his holiness and spirituality, does this. <laughs> right? And everyone's like, what the heck? What are you doing? He gets down. He makes mud out of the spit that's in the dirt, right? And his disciples are just tripping right now. Wouldn't you be like, that's disgusting. That doesn't answer our question. What are you doing, right? He wipes it in the guy's eyes, and they're just like, Jesus, seriously, what are you doing, right? And he goes, you know what? Go wash off in the pool of Siloam. And so the guy goes. He washes his eyes off. Obviously, get the spit out of my eyes. He comes back, and he can see. He was born blind, and now he can see. This miracle happened. He got a touch from God, a supernatural, all-powerful, life-changing God just completely opened his eyes in reality. He comes back. The people are going, wait a minute. Isn't this the blind beggar? No, that can't be him. It looks like him, but there's no way. This guy can see. That guy was blind. He goes, no. And then he goes, it is me. What happened? I don't even know. This guy, Jesus, I just heard his name. This guy, Jesus, came along, puts his spit in my eye, I mean, and he tells me to go wash off, and here I am, and I can see. And they keep questioning him. This can't be. This can't be right. And, and the Pharisees are all uptight, right? Why? Because, wait, you just got healed? They could care less about the miracle. They're going, what's today? Hey, today's a Sabbath. No one's allowed to work on the Sabbath. Someone did a miracle on the Sabbath. Violation, you're in trouble. And meanwhile, the guy's going, but I can see. He, they're like, no, 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 no. Who did this to you? Who did this? I don't know. This guy, Jesus, he did this. And finally, they question him, question him. And they're going, it can't be that guy, Jesus, because that guy claims to be God, the son of God. He's a sinner. And look at how the guy answers in, in John 9, 25, this verse. He says, look, I don't know whether he's a sinner, but the man replied, but I know this. I was blind and I can see. That's all I need to know. See, there's nothing like a good old-fashioned spiritual touch and miracle from God to boost someone's faith and to get them closer to Jesus. Amen? So how come we don't pray for miracles all the time? How come we don't tap into that power that's available to us, every single one of us? See, we need to come back to being a spiritual people because we believe in a spiritual God. We're all spiritual beings. We're all eternal beings. We're going to live for eternity in one place or another. We better get used to the fact that Jesus said, the Holy Spirit's in you, the same one that, that empowered me to do the miracles in my day, he's living in you. So ask. You don't have to worry about, you know, because it's scary, it's awkward. I don't want to pray for a miracle. What if it doesn't happen? Well, God's just going, you know what? The results are up to me. You just ask. You just be obedient. You start praying enough, chances are some of those prayers are going to start getting answered. But it's like, oh, but I feel so weird. I feel so awkward in doing this. And I don't know if I, I want to do that. Let me tell you this. Sometimes you got to risk the weird and the awkward for the sake of the miracle. Sometimes you got to be willing to go, it's weird. I don't know if I can do it. I don't, I don't know if I, you know what? Do it anyway. Because if the miracle happens, you just bless someone's life and you've changed their life. Not only have you blessed someone else's life, but, but check this out. You pray for someone. A miracle happens. Their faith is boosted. What do you think that does for you? What do you think that does for you when God moved through you and your words? It wasn't your power. But God moved through you to bless someone else. Don't you think your faith is just going to skyrocket after that time? Oh, my gosh, I got to be a part of a miracle. And I've seen people physically healed. I've seen people demonically healed. Stuff is manifesting in them. The reality, you pray, it goes away. There's stuff that I've experienced in my life that has boosted my faith incredibly in an all-powerful spiritual God. And I want to be more of a spiritual carrier. I want to have the Holy Spirit in me. And I'm telling you guys this. People are looking for spiritual they're not looking for rules and regulations. People are looking for life change. We have the ability to create that kind of an atmosphere that they can expect that if something's going on, we're going to pray. And there's a good chance that God is going to answer and something spiritual is going to take place. Amen?
It's a kind of a hard word to hear. It's a little bit hard sometimes to get that, that awkward, but we got to be willing to risk the weird and the awkward for the sake of the miracle. Is that good? Well, it's so important. Those are just the three things I have this morning on creating atmosphere, but we got we to gotta remember that we have a job to do. And there's a lot of us in here that are inviting people to Christmas Eve services Tuesday night. And there's a lot of our friends and family that don't know Jesus, but they're open because it's Christmas and they got the warm fuzzies and everything's kind of nice. Sure, I'll go with you to your church and whatever. And we have an opportunity, but it goes beyond just what the church does. It's people over program. That means it's us talking to those friends and family members and creating that right atmosphere and environment where you come around us, you're going to get answers. We believe in the Word of God, the uncompromising standard. The Word of God brings truth and answers. And you know what? You come around us, we're going to love you like family. Yeah, you got problems. We all got problems. Yeah, you got baggage. You, you're sinful. Yeah, we all got that. Some of it shows more than other people. But come on in. There's room for you in the family of God. And thirdly, we're going to risk the awkward and the weird, and we're going to be spiritual people because we believe in a powerful God that has a power to change people's lives. Is that good? Let's bow our heads. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for Christmas. We thank you for, uh, Lord, the atmosphere that we walk in, not just Christmas, but the atmosphere that we have in your presence and in your spirit. Lord, the peace that I receive whenever I need it, when I call upon you, when I, when I cry out to you, Father God, and something is threatening to steal my joy, or you give me your joy, you fill me with it, and I can turn to your word, and I can trust your word that's solid advice for my life, and I can turn to my church family members, the body of Christ that are always there to love on me and to build me up and to speak into my life and speak conviction of my life sometimes when I go astray or I do or say something that's not in line with your purposes for me. Lord, I'm appreciative of those family members. I pray, Father God, that we as a church would create that right atmosphere when people pass through our lives. Lord, that we would welcome them home and get them closer to you. And Lord, that we wouldn't be afraid of the supernatural or the spiritual, but we'd begin to tap into it more. Lord, because it's your power, it's not about us anyway. But I pray that we would trust you because there's nothing like a miracle to convince someone of the reality of God. I pray that we'd be asking for that and praying for that and being bold with our faith that much more every single day. And if there's anybody that came to church this morning as we're praying right now, our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're going, man, I, I want that, all that you talked about. Pastor Carl, that, that sounds good, the life of a Christian and, and what it's like to be in a church family and what it's like to know God in those ways that he could meet my needs and give me direction and I could have a family that loves and supports me and, and just the fact that there is power available through God that's good power, that's life-changing power, that's a spiritual touch that will do things in my life that I'm desperately seeking and, and looking for. Maybe you're, you're here today and you're looking for those answers. Well, I want to I pray with you here in a minute. I want to introduce you to, to my God, my Father, my Savior, my friend. I want to introduce you to the God that created you, that loves you, that sent his Son, that went to the cross for you, that empowers you with his Holy Spirit if you're willing to say yes to him. Stuff will happen that is not natural in your life, and that is a touch of God, and things will change if you believe in him. And if you're at the point where you're ready to say yes to all of that, to begin walking as a Christian and just to see what God could do with your life, I want to say a prayer with you. I'm going to say the words out loud. I'm going to pray them out loud. I'm not going to ask you to pray them out loud in front of all these people. That might be kind of scary right now. I'm going to ask, ask you that you would join the words that I'm saying, that you'd make them the words of your heart to God. God judges us on our hearts, and he asks us to confess him before men, to, to own up to the fact that we're Christians. But 
I believe that comes secondary to, to first of all, restoring your heart relationship with him. So right now we're going to say a prayer of the heart. And afterwards you can go and tell other people you prayed this. But I want to lead you in a prayer. And if you'd like to pray this prayer with me, one that just says you want God to be your God and that you acknowledge what he did for you and begin walking with him and according to his purposes, life will get better. I promise you. If you want to say that prayer, I'm going to ask you one thing. Everybody's got their eyes closed and their heads bowed, but I'm going to ask that you would let me know that you want to pray that prayer with me. I'm going to do it real simple. I'm going to count to three, and I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand when I count to three. That way, I'll just see your hand, and I'll know that we're praying together, and you'll have at least owned up to me and been accountable to me to say, here's my hand. I'm, I'm praying with you today, Pastor Carl. I want God in my life. So if you're willing to take that step, we'll do that. I'll pray out loud. You pray in your heart, and then we'll get on with our day today. It's going to be a great day. But on the count of three, if that's the, the cry of your heart this morning, raise your hand. It's real simple. One, two, three. Good. I see one hand. I see two. I see three. I see four. Looking around. Thank you, Father God. Looking around. I see about four hands this morning. If I didn't see you, don't worry. God saw you. Good. Thank you for those hands. Thank you for letting me know. Go ahead and put those hands down, and let's just pray together this morning. You make this the, the prayer of your heart. God, I'm here today, and, and bottom line is I, I need you. I recognize my need for you. I recognize my need for a savior. I, I realize that life on my own, under my own control, is not as good as it probably could be or should be. So I'm calling out to something bigger and better, and that's you, God. I believe that Jesus, the reason for Christmas, is not just a made-up story. It's reality, God, that you loved mankind so much that you wanted to connect with them. And that the plan that you had was to send your son in the form of a baby that grew up to be a man that taught how to have a relationship with you. And that man went to the cross and died a terrible death in my place. He didn't deserve it, but he did it for me and all the other people in this world that would say yes to him. So I accept what he did for me in paying the price. And the fact that he proved that he was the son of God by raising from the dead on the third day, I believe that that actually happened, Father God, that he overcame death and sin and guilt and shame and paid the price for me so that I wouldn't have to have eternal death and separation from you. Father God, I believe and I receive all that you've done for me in Jesus. And that when Jesus went back to heaven, that he left me with the Holy Spirit in me that could convict me and speak to me and help me and empower me and love me and encourage me. And so, Lord, I'm telling you right now, I receive all that you have for me. Here's my commitment. From this day forward, I lay down my life and surrender it to you. I will follow you and your love and your plans for my life. Thank you for accepting me here this morning just as I am. Lord, I look forward to this new life that I'm going to have in you as I walk with you every single day on into eternity. Thank you, Father God, for being my God. Thank you for what I can expect to happen. I look forward to good things. I promise to read my Bible and to pray and talk to you and to get baptized and all of that stuff. Lord, I don't even know all that yet, but I trust that you're going to show me all that and it's going to be good. Thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, the church said, amen. Now let's praise God for those four people that prayed with us this morning. Unreal.